Hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip it over to, first, uh, to Colossians uh, chapter 1. We got, um, we're wrapping up our series today, No Offense. And uh, through, uh, through the last five weeks, we've talked about living a life that's, uh, that is unoffendable. We, we live in a culture where everybody's offended by something. I mean, it, and it's anything. I was offended yesterday that people were walking through my yard. It's like there's nowhere else for them to walk. Well, of course they're going to walk through the yard. But I was offended by it, right? And so we live in a culture where everything offends somebody. And as Christians, we ought to be the least offendable people in the world. And today we're going to kind of drill down a little bit more on why we should be the least offendable people in the world. And as we finish up this series, No Offense. So if you have a Bible, flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes, starting at verse 13, he says this, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now we could stop right there. We could stop right there and say, Thank you, God, and be encouraged for the rest of of our lives. He has rescued us. Notice what it doesn't say there. It doesn't say that He will rescue us. It says He has rescued us. It's a done deal. It's, it's done. He did that on the cross. He rescued us. The, the Greek word there for rescue is the word erisato. And, and it literally means to snatch oneself. Like, like you know, you're, you're, if you want a, image, a visual image to think about this, think about maybe a, a little boy or a little girl playing in, in their yard and they run out into the road and mom and dad sees a car coming down the road and so they run out into the middle of the road and they snatch that kid out of harm's way. That's what this verse is saying, literally, that God has snatched us from from darkness. He has snatched us from the dominion of darkness. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. I mean, if that's all it said, that would be great. That would be good enough, wouldn't it? But it doesn't stop there. He says He has brought us into the kingdom of of the Son that He loves. Which means this. It means that we're not just saved from something. We're not just saved from darkness, but we are saved to something. We're not saved from something, but we're saved to something. We're, we're not just being snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and then placed into some spiritual no man's land, uh, just uh, waiting for heaven one day. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, and we've been saved into the kingdom of God's Son, His beloved Son. And if that's a fact, which it is, that you are already placed, that you are, that you are already placed in Christ in, in that kingdom, then from now on, it's, it's really it's all about integration, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you move from one place to another, it, it's about in- integration. It's about learning the culture of the new place that you've moved to. It's about learning the value system of that place. It's, it's you know, if you move to Appalachia, you know, Dan, when y'all moved here, you had to learn a new language, didn't you? Because we have words here that y'all don't have in Seattle, like y'all and y'all too, and those kind of things. You have to learn the new language. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so good for us. Because the Holy Spirit is sent to help, help us to come in line with the culture of the kingdom of heaven. To, to help us come in line with the value system of the kingdom of heaven. To help us start to speak the language of this brand new kingdom so that we will be ambassadors for this kingdom. And it's interesting that the way that it goes on. It's, uh, it says about this son whose kingdom this is. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting that when Paul speaks about Christ and His kingdom that you are saved into, one of the first things that he says is that this kingdom is about the forgiveness of sins. That His kingdom, that Christ's kingdom, is about forgiveness of sins. If we need to understand anything in the kingdom of God, it's this. is that we need to understand forgiveness. We need to understand the vertical part of forgiveness, which is God forgiving us from our sins. It's, it's Him 
reaching down to us. It's, it's a vertical relationship that He forgives us of our sins. But we also need to understand the horizontal part of forgiveness. Us forgiving those who have trespassed against us. Ver- vertical and horizontal, it paints the picture of the cross. The full redemptive power of Jesus. And when the disciples, they asked Jesus how, how they should pray, what did Jesus tell them? He said, you should pray about forgiveness, right? He said, you should pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins, that's the vertical part, and, forg- and, and uh, forgive us those who trespass against us, that's the horizontal part. They, they connect. They, they have to go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, right? So, so think about that. You can't have... You can't forgive other people until you've been forgiven from God, right? You, until you've experienced that forgiveness. You just, we don't have the emotional capacity to forgive people unless we've been forgiven. But then later, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, Jesus says that God won't forgive us until we forgive those who trespass against us. So we've got to experience God's forgiveness, but then we have to continue to forgive others so that we can continue to experience God's forgiveness. And so the first thing that we need to understand in order for us to approach the theme of forgiveness is the perspective that releases forgiveness. This perspective that releases forgiveness. And I, and I want to read a parable from Matthew chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip over there. Um, Matthew chapter 18, because um, this is Jesus' response to a question that Peter is asking. Peter's asking the question, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? And just a little side thought, this is free, it's not going to cost you any extra. Anybody ever want to know the backstories behind some of those questions that the disciples asked? Like, there's got to be a backstory to this, right? Peter's, Peter's asking, how many times, in order for me to continue to be a disciple, what's the minimum number that I have to, to forgive somebody so that I can still be in your good graces, Jesus? Like, what's the minimum? Like, there's a story there, right? Somewhere, somebody somewhere has hurt Peter. Somebody somewhere has offended Peter multiple times. And Peter's just like, how long, how many times do I have to forgive this idiot? Like, how many times do I have to forgive this person before, before, and and still be one of your disciples? And so Jesus, in response to this question, like he does so many times, he tells a parable. And he says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave his debts. But the servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, this is serious, saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. And he went and he threw him into a prison until he could pay the debt. Now, we might read this story and kind of get the basics of the story, right? We understand there's a king that represents God, and that servant... Uh, it could be me or you, it, it could be a lot of us, but we've been forgiven a lot. And, and then, as part of that, we go out and we're just hesitant to forgive our fellow person who's offended us. That makes sense. Like We can all kind of grasp that, that idea. But the thing is that, that makes this such a great story, such a great part of the punchline that Jesus is trying to, to, to make, is found in the currencies that he's using. It's found in the meaning of the talents and the denarii. 
And of course, when we read this 2,000 years later in another part of the world where we normally don't deal with denarii and talents as, as a currency, we risk losing the whole perspective of, of, this, of this parable. And so I want to try to explain this the best that I can, and, and I hope and I pray that it will open your eyes to, this new pers- to a new perspective of, of this parable, but also help us to understand forgiveness a little bit better. So, so let's make this very clear right away. This is, I think this is all very visible to us, that there are two relationships in this story, right? We have, we have one with the king and the servant, right? The, the, there's a debt involved of 10,000 talents, which means absolutely nothing to any of us right now, right? 10,000 talents, well, okay, whatever, means nothing to us. But I hope that's about to change here in just a few minutes. But we also have another relationship with that same servant who owes the 10,000 talents and another person, and there's a debt involved in that, which is 100 denarii, which again means really nothing to us. Now, how could we translate the value of this money into something that would, would be remotely relatable to us today? Well, of course, as Bible translators, as they work through, through translating Scripture uh, they will always try to avoid including specific numbers, in, uh, certain numbers. Because if they write, you know, a denarii is so and so many dollars, well, 10, 20 years later, that's not going to be accurate. It's going to be different because of inflation and just financial changes. And so, so it doesn't have that same currency. It doesn't have a consistent value. But there's actually one way for us to get a hold of the estimated value of that money, even though things change and we're on the completely opposite side of the world that they lived in. And that's by using one day's wage. By using one day's wage. Because one day's wage, the average amount of money that a person may, would earn in a day, it, it would, it's the, the amount is going to change. right? It's going to change depending on where you live and what country you live in and, and the time and all that stuff. But the value is still the same. The value is the same. Uh, one day's wage, it's going to be something, you know, in, in our case, it would be something that's going to help us you know, pay off our mortgage a little bit or, or put food on the table or help us buy some clothes or, or whatever you need for a decent life. It will be included in one day's wage. Now, in Jesus' day, one day's wage would be one denarius or, or one denarius, sometimes translated a silver coin. So one denarius equals one day's wage. Now, what about the talents? And I'm going to tell you, there's a little bit of math involved in this, and I wasn't real good at math in high school. It's one of the reasons I went to Bible college. We had to count people and money. That was it. You didn't have to do algebra or any of that kind of stuff. But, but there's a little bit of math involved in this. So, so one talent, remember, one denarii would be one day's wage. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. All right, so that's 6,000 days of work. So, so what would that be? Well, in our modern day equivalent, what would that be? Well, the average daily wage in the United States is $156.70. That's the average. Of course, you're going to have some people that earn more than that on a daily basis. You're going to have some people that earn less than that. But that's the average daily basis for our country, $156.70. So that would be the, the, the modern day equivalent of one denarius. One denarius would be $156.70. So one talent is 6,000 denarii. And one denarii is 156.70, so that means that one talent is $940,200. That's one talent. That's one talent, my friend. This guy owed 10,000 talents. Any idea what that would be? $9,402,000,000. billion. That's what this guy owed this king. I want to know, how do you spend that much money? Like, how do you accumulate debt like that? I mean, like I get like 
you go on a shopping spree with your credit card and stuff, but eventually that's going to max out. Like, you're going to have to win the Powerball from a couple of weeks ago like eight times to, to accumulate that kind of money. Like, how do, you, how do you spend that much money? What happened there? And how did he stay a servant by accumulating that kind of debt? That's a crazy amount of money that this guy owes this king. And I think that's the whole point that Jesus is trying to make. That's his whole intention here. He's given this crazy, like, universal space amount of money. Because he wants to tell his disciples that, hey, we all had a debt before God that we would never be able to pay back. And even though that guy, which is, which is really pathetic in the parable, he says, hey, just give me time, right? Just give me time. That's male positive irresponsibility at its worst. He says, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back. I'll, I'll figure it out. No, you won't. No, you won't. There's no way you're going to be able to pay back a debt of $9.4 billion, with a B dollars. It's not going to happen. And here's the thing. We were in that same position. No good work, no religious deed could ever pay back our debts. That's why we needed a Savior. And that's why God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting love. Man, I love that. So remember this $9.4 billion. All right, now let's go over to the other side of that. And, and think about this, because remember, there's two debts that are owed in this story. What then is the debt of 100 denarii? Well, you know the basics of, of the math. 100 denarii times 156.70 would make it $15,670. Now, why is G Jesus choosing that amount? Well, I, I think he's making a point here. I don't think Jesus does anything by accident. You see, $15,000 is, is a significant debt, isn't it? $15,000 is a lot of money, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but, but if somebody owed me $15,000 and all of a sudden they said, hey, we can't pay you back, I'm going to be upset about that. Most of us don't live uh, in a way that would allow us to just say, hey, you owe me $15,000, don't worry about it. Like, we, we, don't, we, we just don't have that kind of financial dis uh, income at our disposal. It would, it would be upsetting to me. And I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make, is that this guy is owed a lot of money. He really is owed a lot of money. And maybe that's your situation. Maybe somebody owed you a lot of money. Maybe somebody, somebody did something to you, they wronged you, and it hurts. Maybe you got your heart broken. Maybe somebody treated you badly, and, and there's just no excuse for it. Maybe there's a considerable debt involved between you and somebody else, and as long as you stay focused on that perspective of, of that debt, the, the $15,000, it's going to look like a big amount of money. And guess what? You're right. It is. But here's the point. $15,000 is only a lot of money until you compare it to $9.4 billion and that's the perspective of forgiveness jesus is not saying that this amount over here this fifteen thousand, is is small and insignificant and can be easily forgotten that's not what he's saying but what he's asking us to do is to simply take back a, a few steps and compare it to with the debt and compare it to the debt which has been canceled in our own lives and the more we look at this, the more, the more eager we are to let go of that. The more we focus on, hey, that number right there, that's the number that has been canceled in my life. That's the debt that, that I owe that has been canceled. The more we focus on that, the less we focused on what somebody owes us. Now, if I was the devil, and I'm not, at least according to most people, I'm not. Uh, my, we'll talk about that later, Mike. Uh, I would work overtime to make, to make sure that you didn't see this number. Right? 
my, one of my main things, my main goals as the devil would be to make sure that people did not realize that this was kind of the value of your debt, that you had been forgiven. I would, I, w- I would want you to only focus on what you owe or what has been owed to you, right? That's all I would want, want you to do. That's all I'd want you to focus on. I'd, I'd want to, to keep your eyes away from the fact that God has forgiven you so much more than what you could ever forgive somebody else or what could ever be owed to you by somebody else. And the main way that I think Satan does that is through pride. Because pride kills forgiveness. You know that? Pride kills forgiveness. But here's the other thing you need to know. That we are not forgiven automatically just because we're children of God. You need to hear that again. We are not forgiven automatically just because we're children of God. We are forgiven of the sins that we confess. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. says, if we confess our sins. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. But pride will have you think, no, 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 no. There, there is no nine billion. I mean, I'm not that bad of a person. Like, look, I, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I, I don't do certain things that other people do. I don't do this, I don't do that. Compared to this person, I'm pretty good, actually. Like that's, that's what pride would have us to do. Pride would have us think that, no, there is no, no $9 billion, and all of a sudden you're playing down the fact that God had to send His Son to die for you. That's what pride does. Pride takes our focus off of, the, of, of what God had to give up so that our sins could be forgiven. Because, yeah, I might not be that bad, and you may not be that bad, but God still had to send His Son to die for us. Because sin, all sin, whether little sin, big sin, however you want to classify sin, All sin separates us from God. And there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. That's what Jesus said. That's what God said. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So it doesn't matter if I think I'm better than you or you think you're better than me. We're still on equal playing ground, on equal footing when it comes to the level of our sin that needs to be forgiven. It's still a massive debt that we could never pay back on our own. Repeatedly in the Bible, it says God hates pride more than all the other sins. Why? Because pride will rob you of a blessing. Pride will block our hearts so that we don't see our own need for forgiveness. And because we don't, because we don't see our own need for forgiveness, we won't be very eager to forgive others. Because everything that we see is about that 15,000 number, right? That somebody owes us. And I'll tell you, this is why we can't stop talking about sin in the church. Because if we delete sin from our concept of Christianity, like... If we stop talking about sin in church, we, we stop talking about, uh, we want to rename everything. That's kind of the thing in culture now is to rename everything and make everything a little bit more palatable. If we take sin out of the concept of Christianity, then we're robbing people of the blessing of forgiveness. Because you don't need to be forgiven if, there, if sin is not a problem, right? If you've not sinned, then you don't need forgiveness. If nobody has sinned against you, then you don't need to forgive them. Sin is, is, is only a problem if there's no forgiveness. And, and as we confess our sin, remember this is what John said, as we confess, if we confess our sin, it's like we're punching down our own pride. We're saying we are guilty as charged. Look, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. That's me. That's me all day long, every day. And, and like I said, sin, it's only a problem if there's, no, if there's no forgiveness. But since there is forgiveness, 
And there is. And, and realizing that I'm in daily need of the, of, the grace of, uh, of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, it opens up a brand new door to a brand new world of freedom. I'm telling you, we talk about, talked about this last week, that we were meant to live free. And we don't live free because we, 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 we stay imprisoned by our own bitterness, by our own sin. And yet, when, when Christ came to die on the cross for us, He opened up a whole new world of freedom for us. He, he gave His life so that we didn't have to live in, in bondage to sin anymore, so that we, could be, that we could live as forgiven people. And I think sometimes we forget that. That we live as forgiven people, or at least that's how we're supposed to live, as, as people who are free. And you know, as we realize that, and as I realize this, and I'm constantly reminding myself of, of the nine billion that God has erased from my account, from my debt account. It changes my personality and my mentality. It changes my perspective more than anything else because there's a peace that comes from, from, from that. There's a peace that is found in forgiveness, right? Like, look, if you, if you don't have peace in life, I'm going to say it's because you don't have forgiveness in life. But there's a peace that comes from, from being forgiven and, and from forgiving others. We, we don't, it's like a weight that's been lifted off your shoulders. Anybody ever swim? You like to go swimming? Um, yeah, people love to get in a pool. You ever put something on your, on your shoulders and, and try to stay underwater, see how long you can? No, you don't because it's a really dumb idea, right? And that's what walking around living life without forgiveness is like. It's just something that weights you down and will ultimately take all the peace that you have from you. It will ultimately drown you. You will drown yourself in a sea of unforgiveness and, and never experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let me tell you a story about a girl named Sarah. Sarah was 16 years old. She was from Sweden. And like many Swedish young people, she was raised in a completely secularized environment. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Sweden and, and those European countries, but they're not Christian nations. That's not to say there's not good people over there. There, there are, but they're not Christian nations. There's not a lot of Christian influence. Most people uh, would identify themselves as atheist or agnostic. And such were Sarah's parents. Her parents were atheists. And so she was raised without any concept of religion or, or any knowledge of the gospel of Jesus. But as she attended high school, she came into contact with a few young people who were Christians. And they began to share Jesus with her. And initially she thought they were just crazy. Like this is crazy stuff that they're telling me about. But, but the more they talked, the more curious she got. And she got interested. And, and, and for weeks and weeks and weeks she asked all of her questions about God and about eternity and, and about purpose and forgiveness. And eventually it culminated with Sarah giving her life to Christ. And as Sarah became a Christian, she just became this girl on fire. She, she was just overwhelmed with, with, with the gospel. And so she just said, you know, I've got to share it with everybody. And this really revolutionary thing took, took place in her life where once she was just a quiet, shy girl who, who minded her own business. Now she's this 16-year-old girl who's on fire for the Lord. And she's telling anybody and everybody about Jesus. I mean, everywhere she goes, she wants to tell people about Jesus. She's telling all of her school friends and, and, and all of their friends and, and everybody and their brother and their grandmother, anybody she could talk to about Jesus, she's talking to. And it was amazing. Like she starts hosting events at her school, like they're, they're having Christian concerts. And this is all from a girl who's just a, a couple of months into her relationship with Christ. She's brand new into her faith. But then all of a sudden, something happened. Sarah got some really bad news. Sarah was diagnosed with a serious form of cancer. 
And the diagnosis, it happened way too late. The cancer had spread all over her body and it had left her with, with very few chances of survival. Joachim Lundquist, who is a preacher who used to live in Sweden, he got a hold of her phone number and so he said, I'm going to call her. And as he dialed her number, he had so many thoughts about how is this young lady who I've heard so much about, how is she coping with this? I mean, she's brand new in the Lord. What's, what's the level of her, what's left of her faith? Her, her zeal, her fire, her passion, she's been so on fire and, and this has had to just destroy that. And so she, he calls her, and Sarah picks up the phone, and, and uh, Joachim says, Hey, hi, Sarah, this is Pastor Joachim. And, and Sarah immediately interrupts him. And she says, Hey, hey, great, I've been, wa- I've been wanting to talk to you because I've been wanting to tell you all the things that God is doing in my school. And for the next 10 to 15 minutes, she just goes on and on and on about all the things that are happening in her school, all the people that she's been able to share Christ with, all the lives that are being changed. And, and Joachim said, as, as he's listening to her, he's just thinking, this whole time, you know, is, is she in denial? I mean, you know, she ha- has, has this news that she's going to die. Has that really caught up with her? Is she just trying to push reality away? And she's just kind of covering up and just saying the things that she thinks that I would want to hear? And then after about 20 minutes, when she finally stopped to take a breath, Yoakim said, hey, okay, Sarah, all of that is amazing. That's incredible, and I'm so proud of you. But I heard, and, and I heard you got some really bad news, some really hard news. And she said, oh, you mean the cancer? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. And so they began to have a conversation about that. And as it turns out, she was well aware of, of her chances of survival. She was really aware of, of the seriousness of the situation. And of course, she had her questions about why all these things would happen. But, but then, as they talked, she said this. And, and she, said, she said this to Joachim uh, Lundquist. She said, Pastor, there's been a few Christian brothers and sisters of mine who have been saying things like, God can heal people. And that would be great if he did. But here's the way I see it. And, and this is powerful. Listen to this. She said, here's the way I see it. I know that my sins are forgiven. And even if I die from this, I'm ready to go. I just have one concern, one thing that is important for me, and that's to bring as many people with, with me to heaven as possible in the time that I have left in this world. I mean, that's powerful. Yoakum said with, with tears just streaming down his face, that he was so moved by, by this 16-year-old who, who just months into her walk with Christ has this peace that has come about her because she knew forgiveness. This peace that's not connected to perfect circumstances. In fact, just the opposite. But it was peace that was connected to the fact that she knew that $9 billion had been canceled from her debt account. And whatever happens to me now will not ever change that fact. Whatever the devil tries to throw at at, at my face can never change the fact that I'm forgiving and I know where I'm going when it's my time. See, that's peace. Now, praise God, Sarah survived. Ten years of prayer and chemo and radiation and treatment. Uh, It was a long battle. But you know what? Today, Sarah is completely cancer-free. She's married. They, um, her and her husband are a part of a church. They've been missionaries in Thailand uh, for, for a number of years now, and, and they've adopted a beautiful little Thai girl as their own daughter. But, but the point in the story is not only the fact that Sarah survived, but the, but the fact that Sarah knew about forgiveness. And that knowledge made her push through. Though, though her life might be long or it might be short, that was all secondary to her because she understood the peace that comes from forgiveness. And throughout her entire treatment, she just kept sharing Jesus with other people, with doctors, with nurses, basically anyone who would come into her path. 
That's the peace that comes from forgiveness and the peace that God wants to give us. It's peace that is only found on the other side of forgiveness, of accepting the fact that Jesus paid a price for you and that, and, and that price, what, whatever you've done, is not greater than the price that He's paid. Jeff said it perfect a minute ago that uh, we think we gotta, we got to be right before we come back to church, right? That's, that's how people live. i oh, I got to get all this stuff cleaned up in my life before I come back to church. You'll never come back to church that way. You won't. And here's the thing that everybody needs to understand, is that whatever value you put on the things that you've done, the, the price that Jesus paid is far greater. Far greater. It, it could never, they're not even comparable. But there's power that is unleashed through forgiveness. And it brings peace. Let me share one more story and then, and then we'll be done. Back in February of 2015, uh, many of you will remember seeing this on the news, a group of ISIS warriors led 21 young Christian men down to a beach in Libya in northern Africa. These Christians were forced to kneel down and the spokesman of ISIS made a statement that these people of the cross, that's how he referred to, to these, these Christian men, that they were not worthy of living. And all 21 men were executed by ISIS on that beach. And ISIS videotaped the whole thing. They put it on YouTube as an attempt to scare Christians from, from staying in their faith. And it was an attempt to, to motivate them to leave behind their faith and hide in the terror of darkness. However, it had, this video had the exact opposite effect. Because all over Egypt it spread like wildfire. Even though Egypt is an Islamic nation, everybody was concerned because these were Egyptian citizens. They brought the mother of one of these uh, executed young men into a TV studio just a week after this terrible, terrible event. It was uh, for a talk show, and it was the biggest talk show in, in all of Egypt. And, and on that show, the host asked her, said, if you had these men who had killed your son and, and his 20 other friends, if you, if you had them in front of you, if you could do anything to them, what would you do? What punishment would be enough for the fact that they killed your son and 20 other men? And she looked into the camera. And she said, you know what? I only wish for these men to find the forgiveness, to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I only wish for all of these men who took the lives of my son and 20 other Christian young men that they would know the love of Jesus and that they will find true life and true forgiveness through faith in Him. That's my one desire. And her words spread over the entire nation of Egypt. And it shocked the entire nation of Egypt because it became very clear to all the people in that, in that land what religion, what faith was strong enough to forgive even such a horrible, horrible crime. And it led to a national revival all over Egypt with tens of thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. That's the power of forgiveness. Look, with so much wrong in our world, and there's a lot wrong in our world, isn't it? If we only ever fixate on how we've been wrong, on what's been done to us, we'll never find peace. We will live offended daily. But when we fix our eyes, when we fix our eyes on how much we've been forgiven, then we are empowered to forgive others through the name of Jesus. The name that canceled a debt that we could never pay back on our own. And it's a powerful name. Jesus said, there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's that same name that saves us. It's that same name that forgives us. It's that same name that empowers us to forgive other people. You want to know peace? No forgiveness. 
You want to know forgiveness? Know Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, if you don't have peace in your life, it's because you don't have forgiveness in your life. And whether it be forgiveness from God or forgiveness from other people. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness from other people. Maybe you need to give forgiveness to other people. And when you do that, you'll find peace. But until then, you're going to, choose, you're going to live offended. You're going to be offended. Being offended is inevitable. It's going to happen. We've said that throughout this entire series. You're going to be offended. It's going to happen. But choosing to live offended is a choice. And we don't have to live offended. Instead, we can live in peace and freedom because of the forgiveness of Christ and the forgiveness that He allows us to give to other people. So here's the deal. We're going to stand up and sing just like we always do. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But here's the deal. When we stand and we sing, we're going to offer a time of invitation just like we do every Sunday. And here's what I want you to think about. Some of you in this room, you need to know the forgiveness of God. And so if that's you today, then we would love for you to come and experience that forgiveness, uh, to experience that washing of sin. The baptistry's ready. Um, there's water in it. You can experience forgiveness through, through the washing of your sins, through the cleansing power of the blood of Christ flowing over you, getting rid of your sins, being raised to walk in newness of life, being raised to experience forgiveness and a different life, freedom that we all long for. But here's the second part of that. Some of you, you don't need to come forward and accept God's forgiveness. You need to go to somebody else and give forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. And so that's what I would ask of you today. If some, of, some of the people you need to seek forgiveness from are in this room. And so if you need to go ask for forgiveness or find forgiveness, instead of coming down front, just go side to side. Go find whoever it is that you need to ask forgiveness from, that you need to find forgiveness from. And look, I get that's uncomfortable. I get that, that, that makes us as nervous as washing each other's feet, doesn't it? it, it that we're, that, oh, that I would have to go to somebody? Well, yeah, but you do. You want to find forgiveness? You want to find peace? Then you've got to know forgiveness. And if you want to know forgiveness, you've got to know Jesus. And it only comes when we open ourselves up to that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if there's a decision that needs to be made, let's pray that you, whether it's coming down front or going side to side, that you'll do what you need to do to make things right. Let me pray for us. Father God.